Hello, and welcome to another episode of the R Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua. I am your host. Today's episode is a fairly practical one. We have covered kind of where we have come from, the history side of things. We've covered a lot of the corruption and conspiracy and things going on behind the scenes. We've covered where we are right now, and we've covered where we are going as a society. And so what I want to do now is talk about us as individuals, and I will do so by talking about me as an individual. So basically what I want to do in this episode is talk about at least my personal experience and my personal opinion on what to do in the face of all of these things that we've been discussing throughout season four. So the idea is that uh, we have we have money, we have time, we have various resources at our disposal, we have our lives, we have our families. What should we do with these things? What should we do because of these things? What should we do to protect these things? These are the types of things to consider, especially in light of a possible recession or depression, or you could even go to an apocalyptic scenario or natural disasters that can strike at any time, or uh, heaven forbid, a nuclear war, or who knows what could happen. There could be all different kinds of things ahead of us. But what I think we can say with a fairly high amount of probability is that things might be rough, that things, let's say, will be rough for society as a whole over the next few years. And that's something that I've covered in many different ways for many different reasons, whether it's the economics or whether it's the banking system and the dollar, whether it's the wars that are going on, the military-industrial complex, uh, all kinds of stuff. There are many, many reasons why we are likely headed for some sort of rough patch, whatever that may be, whatever that may look like. So to begin with, um, I guess I'll give you a brief outline. I want to talk a little bit about investing, then talk a little bit about homesteading, and then talk about building community and networks. So that is my rough outline for this episode, and I'll start off with investing here. So basically, there are many different ways of investing one's money, and that's the main thing that I want to talk about in this section, and that would be the, the stock market is probably the most common, but you also have the ability to store in cash or store in just dollars in a savings account. You could do CDs or bonds or something a little more stable. You could go more risky and uh, put your money in the cryptocurrency markets and go that route. There are many different routes as far as investing money into something that will hopefully give you a return in the future. Now, I'm not going to go into any great detail in any of these things. I have done so. I believe I've covered every single one of those options in full episodes individually throughout, who knows, the course of this podcast. So if I can find all of them, I'll link them in the show notes. If you're looking for one and I don't have it linked, email me, request it, and I will find it. But for an overall view, 
let's start off with one of the most common things, and that would be putting money in the stock market. So this is often done through ETFs or some sort of index fund, something where you have a fund that owns stock in many different companies, usually hundreds of different companies. A lot of times this has to do with some of the top companies in the market, and you're basically just owning a piece of the market, and that's the idea. Well, the issue is that we are in a place as far as the stock market is concerned and the economy is concerned, we're in a place where we've been in a bubble for quite a while. So prices are historically very high. Valuations are historically very high for stocks. And this is something that works when there is a lot of growth going on. And that's typically why you get a bubble like this that occurs in addition to uh, go back to Austrian theory. So in addition to uh, manipulating the money supply and manipulating the uh, rate for earning money, the rate of money, that would be interest rates. And so that's the other really big reason. But when you have a lot of growth going on, then people can factor that growth into how they value a company or value a stock. And because of this, valuations get high when there's a lot of growth. That's what's been going on for quite a while now. In addition to that, interest rates have been pushed down to very, very low levels over the past decade. And so people have had a lot of very cheap money to do things with. And that gets dumped into projects to expand companies and corporations and ventures of that sort. Some of that gets dumped into the stock market. So if you can uh, pretty much guarantee that you're going to get, say, a 5% return in the stock market and you're paying 1% on a loan for $100,000, then there's quite a few people who would go ahead and take a $100,000 loan, put that $100,000 in the stock market, pay the 1%, pocket 4% on money that wasn't even theirs. So it's a pretty good scheme. And things like that on a much larger level are uh, have been happening for quite a while. So because of all these things, prices and stocks are up a good bit. However, in the face of that, what's happening now is that interest rates are starting to rise. And as you would know, if you have been paying attention to the episodes that I've done on Austrian economics, the issue is that when interest rates start to rise, it costs more money to borrow money, to use money. Money is more expensive. And so because of that, people get less of it and less people get any of it. And so with that, you have less money that is being invested as a whole. You have less money that's out there purchasing products. You have less money being invested in companies. You have less money entering the stock market, these types of things. And I'm speaking in generalities, but in general, that's what's going on when it's more expensive to have money. And so that can be, according to the Austrian theory, that is one of the main reasons why you have a bubble that ends up popping. And so valuations are extremely high, that's your bubble. Then when interest rates go up and there's not as much money going around and projects start to fail because it now costs more money to get the loans in order to keep a project running so the project fails, then people get laid off, money is lost, and so on and so forth. So all of these things start to come to a head, 
and the markets crash, basically. And so that is the boom-bust cycle. Now, that's something that is going on currently, where interest rates are going up, and you are starting to see some of these things start to take place. But in addition to that, you also have the issue of inflation. So inflation is really starting to pick up for many different reasons. You've got the fact that we've printed so much of the current money supply just over the past five years, and that will have a huge impact. In addition to that, you have supply inflation where, or supply-driven inflation, where the supply is low for a lot of goods. There's a lot of shortages, there have been a lot of disruptions, things like that. And so there's not very much supply out there in many different areas and sectors. And when there's not all that much supply, when supply goes down, demand goes up, price goes up. And so that's basically the way it works. So uh, even if you have constant demand, demand doesn't change whatsoever, but supply goes down, the price goes up because there are the same amount of people wanting that good or product or service, but there's a less of that product or service available. So they're willing to pay more to make sure they are one of the ones that get this because they need it. And so prices go up. So you have inflation just due to the monetary system and the dollar. You have inflation due to a lot of the supply disruptions that we've had. And you've got other reasons why inflation is going on in many different ways. And so that's a big issue that's going on right now. And With all of this, basically, we're facing some headwinds where we are very likely to see a decent downturn in the markets. So going back to the idea of investing and where to put your money, especially where to put your money in the stock market, uh, that doesn't really look very good. So a lot of people would take the Warren Buffett strategy and say that, oh, if you just put your money in, doesn't matter when it is, eventually it'll be worth more. And that might be true. But that is assuming that prices always rise in the long run. And just because historically that's happened for the past, say, 80 years, 90 years, whatever it's been, that doesn't necessarily mean that it will always happen that way. If you look at any civilizations that have fallen over the millennia, uh, that that doesn't always happen when a civilization falls. A civilization civilization collapses, and it's not like they always come back. They pretty much never come back. And so those things do happen. Now, I'm not saying that all of our civilization is going to collapse, but what I am saying is that it's not very accurate to say that things will always go up in the long run. Um, Yes, in general, they have in the recent past, but that doesn't mean they always will. And so that is something to consider as well. But in addition to that, you can look at the recent past, like 2008, and if you would have put your money into the stock market, let's say just a general, probably S&P 500 fund, something of that nature, and had money in the stock market when it was at its peak, I don't know when that was, probably 2007 sometime, then it would have taken you roughly 10 years before your, your the value of what you had in the stock market was back to what you started with. So you basically would have had your money in there, put your money in sometime near the top of a peak, which is, uh, in a lot of people's opinion, where we are in today's market. And then everything crashed, things stayed down, they rose, they did, and they did get back up to where they were, and they did surpass that. But it took 10 years 
So if you have money right now, whether it's already in the markets or whether you're looking for a place to put it, it is something to consider. Do you really want to put that in the market at this time, given the current headwinds? Now, the alternative is that you don't. And that has its own risks as well. So again, if we have inflation going on and things cost more and the value of the dollar is going down, then if you don't invest your money in the, let's say, if you don't invest your money, period, and you're just sitting in cash, then the value of your money is going down over time, guaranteed. At least with stock market, you have a chance of it going up. Uh, if you keep it in cash, it is not going to go up. It is going to go down. And so that is also not a very attractive opportunity there. Although it is nice to have the dry powder where you have money sitting on the sidelines, you can bring it in when you see an opportunity, there is value in that. But I'm just giving you different considerations here. So in addition to these things, especially if you're a long-term listener, then you're well aware of a lot of the negative aspects of modern corporations and how crooked they are, corrupt they are. Uh, I would even happen to say evil they are in many different ways, in many different sectors, whether it's um, in the big pharma sector or big ag or big tech, all of these things I would classify as evil or close to evil. And I do not want to support something that I believe is evil, corrupt, anything like this. That's not where I want to put my money personally. So for my personal opinion, there's also a moral component to this where I don't want to support those things. And so I don't want to put my money there. And I understand that I might be missing out on some returns, uh, but even then, I'm kind of doubtful that I'm missing out on much because of the other options that do exist that we'll get into. And so uh, those are all my considerations for the stock market right now. Now, in general, if I were to put money in the stock market right now, what I would probably do is pick some sectors that I felt would perform very well over the next, say, 10 years or so. A lot of that would have to do with smart technology, um, uh, tracking, surveillance, things of that nature, automation, and a lot of the companies that make the chips and the pieces and the parts to make automated machinery and automated surveillance and that kind of thing. Those are the types of things that I would personally want to invest in. I would want to invest in those sectors. That's at least a sector that I would want to go into. And in addition to that, what I would try to do is find companies that are somewhere in maybe the top 10 of their sector, something like that, somewhere near the top where they are one of the larger companies in their sector, but they have little to no debt and fairly high growth rates with a decent chunk going into R&D, research and development. And so if you have a formula like that, then if that company struggles, if you have a recession or a downturn or whatever, they're not paying on a bunch of debt. They have no debt or they have very little debt and that's not affecting them. That's not being held over their head, so to say. And if they're in a sector in general that is going up and doing very well and their company as a whole has been growing well and doing well and they're putting money into things that should 
increase their market and increase their products and increase their efficiency, these types of things through R&D, then that's a company that is much more likely to be successful in the long run than companies that do not have these qualities. So that's at least the way I personally like to look at picking stocks and picking companies to invest in, that kind of thing. But as I said, the, currently, I the, the moral argument and the macro uh, economic argument are ones that keep me from uh, really having much interest in investing in the stock market, period. So the alternative that I would say that I have personally participated in would be that you can invest in things like gold and silver, so what I personally would do and or what I personally have done is to find ETFs that track the price of gold. So GLDM would be the ticker symbol for one that basically just tracks the price of gold. So you buy that and if gold goes, it goes up, it goes up. If gold goes down, it goes down. Now, there are leveraged options that I would not recommend unless you're very advanced and even then probably do not recommend it at all. Uh, but... Uh, mainly just the ETFs that track gold. Now, in addition to that, you have gold miners. You have people in the financing side of the gold industry. You have different companies that do different things related to, let's say, gold. And so historically, as the dollar goes down in value, gold goes up in value. So overall, if you look even at long-term historical records, gold holds its value very well. So if you're holding your money, your, your value in dollars, that's going down and that's guaranteed because of inflation. However, if you hold your value in gold, then you can go all the way back to Roman times when for one ounce of gold, you could buy a nice outfit with some sandals and a nice belt and basically have some dress clothes on. Well, fast forward that to modern times and for the price of a, an ounce of gold, you can get a nice custom tailored suit with some nice shoes and a nice belt and a few accessories and you can get dressed up and look nice for roughly an ounce of gold. And so that value has been uh, fairly consistent over a very long period of time. And if you look at the charts for gold, even just over the more recent history, let's say the past 50 years or something like that, it also looks very attractive. So that is an option if you want money in the markets, but you don't necessarily want to invest in certain corporations or stocks or whatever, that you could go a slightly different route and go into precious metals or something of the sort that's a bit of an alternative, and that might be worth pursuing. Now, the other option is that you do not put your money in the stock market. So I guess one of the more related options would be cryptocurrency markets. And unfortunately, I have a very similar opinion of the macro situation there as well. So it does appear that cryptocurrencies have been in a bubble for a while now, for about a year or two, and that this run-up has had its peak when Bitcoin was around 60,000, 70,000 or so, and it will likely come all the way down uh, into the 20s, maybe even the teens, before we start to see another bull run, if we keep according to historical cycles. Now, the history of Bitcoin is much uh, shorter than the history of the stock market, but 
over the history that it has had, there have been multiple bull runs where prices go way up, you get a big bubble, that busts, they come down about 80%, they hang out there for a while, they slowly creep, they go down, and then you have your next bull run. And that has happened multiple times. Uh, three times would be the ones that I look at. This one, the one before that, which was 2016-ish, and the one before that, which was a few years before that. And so those are the ones that I look at, at least personally. And according to that, and according to uh, my guess as to how things would go if the stock market goes down, I don't think cryptocurrency has a very positive outlook in the near-term future. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't like it at all. I like a lot of aspects about cryptocurrency. However, uh, number one, you have this boom-bust cycle in the crypto markets that it looks like we have come down far from our peak. So say it was around 60,000, and that was fairly stable for a short time, and now we're all the way down to 30. So we've been cut in half. But typically the downturn goes down to about 80% versus 50% where we are now. So we've probably still have a decent ways down before things level out. In addition to that, like I've said, we are very likely to have a downturn in the stock market in general, some sort of recession or depression. Typically in those times, people withdraw their money and their value out of high-risk assets. And cryptocurrency is the epitome of a high-risk asset. So when people need money, they are short on money, and they don't want to have their money in a risky place, uh, that's a time when they're probably not going to have a lot of money in the crypto markets. And that's likely the situation we are headed into. So for those two reasons, personally investing in crypto for that reason of trying to get gains in the near term, probably not the best idea. Now, it probably could be just like with stocks that you could put money in and 10 years from now, you might be up from where you put it in. But in the meantime, you're losing a lot of value and a lot of opportunity. And there's a lot of other places you can put your money. So that would be another option. Now, getting back to the alternative in the stock market to investing in gold and gold stocks, you can do that in physical form as well. You can even do that through something like an IRA. So if you have an IRA, whether it's a Roth IRA or a standard IRA, a traditional IRA, you can do what's called a self-directed IRA, where you can put that money into essentially whatever you want. Now, there are limits to that, but you could invest in real estate, you could invest in cryptocurrency, you could invest in precious metals, you can invest in all kinds of things, startups, all kinds of stuff. The catch with a self-directed IRA is that there has to be a custodian that is managing whatever it is that you are invested in. So when that comes to a physical asset, whether that be real estate, say you buy a rental property, or whether that be physical gold that you buy, you cannot actually personally own that thing, that asset. So that has to be owned by a custodian, and that is the catch because then you typically have to pay for that custodian. Now, there are some sidesteps that some people can do to get around that to a degree where maybe you have an LLC or something like that that is the custodian and you're the sole manager or proprietor of that LLC or that trust or whatever it is that owns the assets. And so you can kind of do that and that works. 
in some ways, and I am not giving you legal advice or financial advice in any way, but uh, there are various ways that people approach that situation, but it's not like you can buy you know, 10 ounces of gold with all of your money in your investment accounts uh, through a self-directed, self-directed IRA and then just put that in the safe in your house. That's not how that works. So there are catches to that. And usually you then have to pay storage fees to whoever the custodian is that is holding your gold. So uh, there are different catches to that. Now, the other option that I do lean heavily towards is to just get out of the system as much as possible. And that would include all of the systems. And so with that, if instead of putting money in the markets or instead of using one of their vehicles for investment, like an IRA or 401k or whatever that may be, what if you just dealt with it yourself? What if you just took that money and you invested it in something that was going to produce for you in the future? Well, that would be a viable alternative. And that's the one that I lean more towards right now as far as how I have personally approached my own financial situation. So what I would prefer to do, given the current circumstances and the context of our economy and the markets and these kinds of things, What I would rather do is take that money and put it into starting a business for myself, um, starting a side hustle, planting some fruit trees, berry bushes, getting animals to raise, to breed, to raise for meat, whatever, these types of things. And those things are different for everybody, but investing in things that will produce tangibly for me in the future with a high rate of return. So for example, a fruit tree, within the first year of it producing fruit, you're already gonna make your money back. And then every year after that, which can be a decade or well beyond, that's just profits that you're getting off of this fruit tree. Now, whether it be that you sell the fruit off the tree, say you have an apple tree and you sell those apples, you can get those profits that way. But it could also just be that you and your family eat those apples. You didn't then have to buy those apples at the store. And whatever that value is that you are not buying, that is the value that you are gaining by having that apple tree on your property. So not spending money, money saved is very similar to money earned. On the balance sheet, it works out the exact same way. And so that is a good investment in my book. If you are somebody that is more of an entrepreneur or you have some sort of side gig going on or something you would be interested in getting going on, but you might need a little bit of an investment in order to get the things you need to get that off the ground, then putting your own money, your own money that you would have put into a retirement account, a stock account, something like that, and you invest in yourself in this specific way, that definitely is worth considering because that is something that will likely give you high returns. It is a high risk option as well because most businesses, most startups, do not make it or struggle very much in their infancy. And so uh, that's something that you do have to consider, but you're investing in yourself. And especially if it's a side gig, there is a, a, a higher rate of success and a higher probability of success. And this is something that if successful, 
it's going to put you and your family in a much better position in the future because of what you have done and you're going to be better off financially. So you are going to get returns off of that investment. And again, it's a risk to put money in the stock market. It's a risk to invest in the cryptocurrency markets. It's a risk to uh, hold your money in cash and let it get eaten away by inflation. All of these things are risks. And especially given the current market conditions, it's a fairly high risk right now to dump money in the stock market or leave it in the stock market. So to compare that to a uh, relatively high risk uh, investment into one of your own endeavors or ventures, um, it actually, in these current conditions, pencils out to uh, something relatively equivalent. So that is something to consider as well. Instead of continuing to speak in generalities, I want to get more specific and just give an overview of at least what I have personally done and what my personal experience is. So let's go back roughly seven years or so. And around that time was a time when I did have some money. I was making good money. I had my own business and had extra money that I was wanting to invest and start a retirement account. I also was a college graduate and had a degree in both marketing and entrepreneurship. So the goal was to start my own business and go that route, more of an entrepreneurial route. I was also starting to learn a lot more about economics and investing and the way the world works and all of the things that I've talked about on this podcast since its inception. And so that's that's where I was. And what I personally chose to do was to first invest in the stock market. That's where I started and I felt it was a good time. We were in a bull run cycle, but it didn't appear that we were anywhere near the top. Things were going well. And I personally did well in the markets uh, using the strategy that I mentioned earlier, finding companies that were in sectors that I believe had a lot of potential and they were very low debt. Uh, another metric I would look at is if the founders still had a large portion of shares within that company. So they um, often, that would mean that they do believe in more of a long-term gain to be had, and that's why they keep their shares there. And typically, there are lots of uh, exceptions to that. But um, yes, I, I did do the stock market route. That did go well for a while. I then learned a lot about cryptocurrencies and... I started to put some money into that right as the bull run for roughly 2016, whenever that was, roughly around that time frame. And might have been 2015, I don't remember. But uh, whenever that bull run was, it was right when the Bitcoin, Bitcoin cash split was occurring. And I was, so I was learning all about blockchain technology and these kinds of things. Uh, at that same time when they were starting to discuss the Bitcoin, Bitcoin cash fork. And so at that time, Bitcoin was around $2,000 a piece, somewhere around there. And so I started to put money into cryptocurrency markets. I was already uh, very active in investing in the stock market as well. And so I started putting money into that, rode that all the way up and thought that I was going to do really well. I thought I was uh, going to be a little more safe and pull money that I had in a lot of the smaller altcoins and put them into Ethereum because that seemed like a lot more stable project, which it was. But even Ethereum went from whatever it was, $1,200 a piece, something like that, 
all the way down to about three or four hundred bucks a piece. And so it definitely tanked hard, just like everything else in the crypto markets. However, I had learned a lot. And that's when I dumped even more money into the cryptocurrency markets. Because again, you have these cycles, boom, bust cycles. And the technology was something that I believed was going to be successful in the long run. It was a project that I believed in more so than the mega corporations that I was invested in in the stock market. And so I tried to take advantage there, uh, bought all the way through until uh, I basically bought and held for quite a while, I guess a few years. And then you had the coronavirus that hit. And when COVID hit, you had a big drop in the stock market as well as the crypto markets. And Bitcoin came all the way down to somewhere around $5,000, $6,000 a piece. And so right around that time, that was when I put even more money into cryptocurrency, thought that that was a really good opportunity, and that worked out well, because that was right before the giant bull run, where it went all the way up to 60, 70 grand. Now, I didn't, unfortunately, sell at the peak, but um, I did see when that peaked and uh, roughly called it ahead of time. I said it'd go between 60 and 80, I think is what I thought, and or 60 and 100. And it went just above 60 to about 70. So it was kind of the low range of what I expected. But I did call that a few years before. And so I knew that when it hit roughly that range and then backed back down, that that was probably the peak there. And sure enough, it was uh, pretty much. And so I got out somewhere around that time frame. And um, since then, I have been putting money in the other alternative that I mentioned. And that would be into personal investments. So I have very little money in the stock markets now. I have very little money in the cryptocurrency markets now. I have put a lot of money into uh, trying to be debt-free. That is a very big deal. So I'm not paying interest and I'm not dealing with banks. And then I've put a lot of money into my own house and my own homestead in ways that produce for me. So setting up for chickens, setting up for pigs, uh, setting up a, an orchard, a berry patch, a forest garden, raised beds, all of these kinds of things. That These are infrastructure investments that I do spend money on, a good bit of money on, but they are ones that set me up for uh, getting some good returns and good gains in the future. Not only that, I had learned a lot about the potential future that is coming, the dystopian future with a lot of disruptions and hard times ahead, and the idea of being much more self-reliant and self-sufficient sounded like a very good idea. I would rather be in that position for me and my family than to be uh, much more subject and reliant to whatever's going on in the system. So that's where I put my money. And in addition to that, roughly a year ago or so, I started making plans of starting my own business that was related to these types of things. Ended up having a business partner. We are in the process of getting our business structured and figuring out exactly how to structure that and not get involved with various legalities. But we are setting up a... Uh, the, the first thing, at least, will be a food club. And so the idea is that we are creating a hub for alternative systems. And the first big core component of that will be a food club that will be all about sourcing 
the majority of members' food needs, so their groceries pretty much, locally, at least as locally as nat- as possible, and natural, uh, naturally raised, pasture-raised meat, uh, vegetables and fruits that don't have a lot of chemicals, toxins, poisons sprayed on them. So think organic or better, probably much better than organic. And we want to be able to source this type of uh, food and these types of things for our members, for people that are interested in this. Now, people that are interested in these things are few and far between, that we are not trying to appeal to the mass markets. But we have a system and a structure in place where we believe we can do this, do this profitably, and not need a ridiculous customer base. So if we have about 100 members to, uh, say, 200 members, somewhere in that range, then we should be very profitable, very successful, and that's about all we need. And so I've been putting a lot of time and money into getting that set up and getting something off the ground where, again, I am less reliant on the system. I am investing my money in something that should get me some very good returns in the future. And it's setting me up where me and my family are a lot more resilient to possible disruptions that are coming up in our near future. So that's what I've done. In addition to, I guess, so uh, correlated to that business is the homestead that I have been building out for myself and my family on our own property because we have we've had chickens for quite a while we've been doing eggs and we've sold eggs here and there and so eggs is something we've been producing we've had raised beds and various gardening schemes where we have grown vegetables been doing that for a while we've created multiple berry patches and forest gardens with berries and mulberry trees these kinds of things so uh, I guess about last year we really started getting berries coming in in a decent amount and I've got a good size orchard going on, at least good size for my small two acre property, where we've got about 50 or 60 fruit trees. And some of those are starting to produce now as well. So uh, that's, well, I guess in addition to that, we got pigs a few years ago. We tried Kuni Kunis, which is a pasture pig that eats mostly grass. So the idea was that you get things, and this is my idea for everything related to the homestead, is that you go as low maintenance as possible, as few inputs as possible. I don't want to spend money just to have my things work. And so what I want to do is, for example, with the chickens, have them in a place where they can forage, get the majority of their food out there. I don't pay for food, but they are still producing for me in the form of eggs, and I do very little maintenance. I have a nice coop set up for them. They've got plenty of space where I have very little time and effort input into having these chickens. We have very little monetary input. We throw them a scoop of food for the entire flock once a day, and that's it. That's not all that much. They forage for most of their stuff, and it's not that big of a deal. So we did pigs with that same intention. That was the idea for the Cooney Coonies, where they eat mostly grass, and they are fairly docile. They aren't really a big issue. They're supposed to be very friendly and very easy to raise, a great homesteading pig, and they were. However, it took about a year and a half to get them up to a weight where we wanted to process them and put them in the freezer. 
And a year and a half is too long, in my opinion, mainly because you have to keep them over winter. And anytime you're keeping an animal over winter, especially one that eats grass, you are going to have to supplement their diet because that grass is not growing over the winter time, at least not in my climate. I am in southern Tennessee, that's zone 7, 7B to be precise. And with that, we have our grass die for multiple months in the wintertime. And so you have to then buy hay or buy feed or buy something. And so you're putting a lot of money into inputs. And when you have grown pigs, they eat a lot of inputs. And so that costs a lot of money. And that means that your final product, your pork, when it's all said and done, costs you quite a bit to produce. Now, it still might equal out. I think ours equaled out roughly to what we would have paid in the store, and our product was definitely much, much, much better than what you would buy in the store. However, that's still not ideal. So uh, we did a different breed last time. We did a Berkshire Large Black Cross. They got up to weight very quickly, did very well in that regard, but they tore up the pasture and they needed a little more feed and they weren't as nice, and we did not really like them. So we are now uh, experimenting with a breed called Meishan, and the Meishan pigs are from China. They are kind of interesting looking. They're black with super wrinkly faces, and they eat, again, mostly grass. They're pasture pigs, and so they need very little feed input. However, they uh, should get up to weight in about 10 months which means we wouldn't really have to overwinter them, especially if we had piglets uh, in the middle of winter or at the end of winter, then we should be able to process at the beginning of the following winter and they would be up to weight and we wouldn't have a lot of feed costs and a lot of input costs. So that would be great. We have some, we're considering breeding them as well. They're a fairly rare breed and a very good breed for homesteaders. And so with that, you can get a decent amount for those piglets, and they're you know pretty hard to come by. And so we hopefully will be able to uh, breed them, sell some of the piglets, keep the rest, process them, sell some of the pork, keep some of the pork, and we have lots of options there. But that has cost money. Of course, we have to buy the pigs. We've got to put up the fencing. We've got to build them a shelter, you know, all these different things. So back to the idea of investing, that's where I have invested my money. And with that, again, I'm finally starting to see returns from that where uh, we get lots of eggs. We are now starting to get fruit. We get all kinds of vegetables. We've learned how to dehydrate things and make spices or make teas and all different kinds of things that you can do when you are doing the homestead life. And that is a wonderful thing. In addition to that, though, with the business that we are starting up, that is something where that can then be an outlet for me and other people like me, where I I can't necessarily supply a grocery store or a restaurant with eggs. I just don't have that many. But I do have the infrastructure and the land and the time to at least get enough chickens where I could supply, say, half of the members with eggs. And we have other members that are able to supply eggs as well. And then all of the eggs are supplied from members that are very local, organic or better, pasture-raised chickens, and we're all set. We have zero, uh, almost zero interaction with the system as a whole, and people can get their groceries and get the things they need and get the food they want to eat at a quality they want, at a price they can pay, and on a local supply chain where even if there are disruptions, 
it doesn't really affect us very much. Another very positive thing about that is when you have, for example, pasture-raised animals, let's say beef or the pigs, but beef is probably the easiest example. If you have grass-fed beef that are grass-fed and grass-finished so they never have extra grain, then a farmer would not have to put down a fertilizer. So let's say they're rotationally grazing and doing this in a healthy way for the pasture, so they're not having to do fertilizer. In addition to that, they're not having to buy grain and extra feed for those animals. In addition to that, they're raising them naturally, and so there aren't any other added expenses of all the shots and the antibiotics and the official government stamp that says this is XYZ um, uh, beef, and when they get processed, paying for the USDA stamp, all of these kinds of things, that you don't have those costs. So even though those costs are starting to skyrocket in today's world, uh, our farmers that are doing things pasture-based and are doing grass-fed beef, for example, their inputs aren't going up nearly as much as the commercial uh, people that are raising beef. And so with that, that does insulate us some from a lot of those pressures as well. So there are all different kinds of benefits in doing this, but they correlate together, they tie together, and we can leverage these things all together uh, within a community and a network of local people and that can be a very good thing. Now, with the idea of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, homesteading, all these things, uh, I personally believe it is important to keep in mind that you are not going to be completely self-sufficient. Or if you are, you are going to be very isolated, and it's probably not a very healthy place to be mentally or physically. And so, with that, the idea at least in my mind, that is a very healthy one, is to think self-reliance within a community. So if you have a community of people, a local community, a local network of like-minded individuals, and out of that group, you can provide all the things that you all need, then that is the epitome of what we're going for here. It's not about me having 100 acres and surviving on my own or isolating my entire family and you know, me and my family live all alone somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. That's not really the life that we want. However, at the same time, we don't want to be dependent on the system. We don't want to, uh, we just want to break away as much as possible from the system and ideally not interact with it at all. And so you have to find some middle ground between those things. And so the middle ground that we have chosen is this idea of community self-reliance. So in, in my town, we have a group called the Chattanooga Voluntary Society, and that is a group of individuals that are like-minded, that have built out a community and a network of people. They have monthly meetings where they get together, have a potluck, get to know each other, these kinds of things, do some networking. But also there are various offshoots of that and related groups. There's one related to blockchain. There's one related to homesteading and gardening. There is the business that uh, my business partner and I are doing that is very related and is connected to that group as well. And so there are lots of different things, but uh, this has been a way locally that we can generate this community and this network. We can leverage what each of us do. So we've got a few guys that do 3D printing. That has been leveraged and used. We have people that do a lot of gardening and homesteading. That has been taken advantage of. We have people with construction skills, and we have doctors, and we have other people that have various skills that have been used within the group, and that has created 
at least a portion of the community self-reliance that we are going for. And I think that if all of society uh, completely collapsed and we had some sort of zombie apocalypse type scenario, our community would be a very solid one. And we not only would likely make it, we would be probably one of the groups that thrived in that type of situation. And so that's a good place to be, in my opinion. I want to protect myself and my family from hardship in the future. And if I see that there are disruptions coming, I can mitigate that or prevent that or heck, even thrive in the face of that. Then that's what I want to do. And that is how I am trying to set things up. So my encouragement to you, if you are in a similar position in any one of these uh, veins, would be that you consider these same things as well. Now, again, it looks different for everybody, but consider where you have your money invested. And is that something that you believe in? Is that something you morally find acceptable? Is it a risk that you're willing to take given the current conditions? Assess what you believe the current conditions are. Just because I believe we are headed for some sort of downturn doesn't guarantee that we are. Maybe you have a different opinion and adjust your strategy accordingly. Do you have a lack of community? Maybe you're a part of a church or you're a part of some kind of group or you have a friend group or something like that. But if you're pretty loose knit and you don't know each other very well, you can't count on each other, you're not doing projects together, using each other's skills, these kinds of things, then building that community a little more might be a very important thing to do. If you don't really have one or you feel like you need one that's more like-minded, because, for example, in my area, there are a lot of churches. We're in the middle of the Bible Belt. But a lot of the Christians in my personal area are not very like-minded when it comes to the state and things of that nature. And so, in order to find like-minded individuals, I have not been very successful at finding them from a church. I have been much more successful finding them from the general public of people out there. And so that's something to consider, starting an agorist group or a mutual aid society or a freedom cell or any of these kinds of things, even just a simple meetup group and meeting over a meal, seeing what happens, try to naturally grow that network and build that network and community. That is something that is extremely valuable. Also, getting debt free is a very, very important thing as well. When you have debt, you are tied to the system. You do owe somebody else, and you are at least to some degree under their thumb, and they can pressure you. That is not a great place to be. Uh, in addition to these things, what about being prepared for things happening? So prepping, uh, I am not a full prepper personally, but I do want to be prepared if, say, a tornado came through and we didn't have any power or water or stores or the ability to drive anywhere for, say, a month. You know, that would be really hard. A lot of people in their current condition would not survive that. We would definitely survive that the way we have set ourselves up. We might not have 10 years ago. And so I want to be in a position where I am prepared, where I am well set up for many different scenarios. And uh, that is where I want to put my money. That's where I want to invest. That's where I want my reliance to be is is in these types of things that I have set up in homesteading, in local community, in entrepreneurship, these types of things. And so uh, that would be my encouragement for you is that 
whatever, however this applies to you, hopefully my story, uh, my personal views and opinions can uh, be something that can guide you into something that's helpful for you yourself. Again, I know everybody's situation is different, so you're not going to be exactly the same as me, but uh, sometimes it's just helpful for someone. I know when I'm listening to other people and they're just talking from their own experience, I can get a lot out of that because it's something that they have actually done. They have actually experienced it. They've uh, seen the pros and cons. They've failed. They've succeeded. And I can learn from that and apply that in my own way. So hopefully that's something I can do for you. Now, with that, that will be... I guess, the end of this episode. And in addition to being the end of this episode, I guess it's the end of the content that was covered in the interim time between season two and season three. So as a refresher, we are currently in season four of the podcast where I am going back through all the content covered throughout the course of this podcast since its inception and looking at it all from a macro view, tying a lot of things together, making a lot of connections, bringing it up to date, making it a little more practical and applicable, these types of things. That's season four. And where we are going from here is to uh, do that same thing with season three of the podcast. And that would be the previous season. So in that season, the main things that I want to pull out and Uh, look at from a macro perspective and tie together these kinds of things would be the natural order. That is a concept I want to talk about. The idea of uh, how to apply these things. So agorism and uh, the parallel polis, parallel society, these types of strategies and concepts and ideas. And the other thing would be secular religion That is a very important concept, and that might be it. There also could be more. I'm not exactly sure. I'll have to go back and and look that up. But uh, those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head. That is what is coming up over the next, I guess, few weeks. And so we will go from there. Now, I will say, uh, I should have said this, I guess, last episode or the one before that or before that. I'm not sure which. But someone did point out to me that the episode that I did where I talked about Uh, the four turning cycles, uh, the fourth turning and that secular theory by Strauss and Howe. I mentioned that a generation was, I think he said I said 50 years, but technically it's 80 years. So as a random side note correction of something I had said in a previous episode, it's supposed to be 80 years, not 50 years. And for whatever reason, I was stuck on 50. So a slight correction. I was told that guy had just gotten done reading uh, that book And uh, with that, he said that everything else was great. It was just I got the wrong number there. So uh, caveat, and I will try to put that in the show notes. I should be able to edit a previous episode. But since it's on my mind and I remembered it, I am giving that here for a correction in the public. So in addition to that, I want to say thank you very much for everybody that supports this show. I have had some people that have had to drop off. And there are fewer supporters now than there once were. Uh, I do understand that, and that is okay. But if anybody else is willing and interested in supporting this show and helping me pay for things like hosting costs and equipment and research materials and all of these kinds of things, please feel free to do so. That would be wonderful. I would love your support. You even might get a few, or you will get a few perks for doing so. 
I have a link to the Subscribestar page and the Patreon page. So take your pick. You could also do it directly and email me for options on that or look in the show notes. And I think that's everything I have. So uh, please do leave a rating or review if you have not done so for the good of the podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all of your support of all kinds. I'm out. Peace. This has been our Foundations Podcast. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye.